as the body of Christ uh, to worship our great God together. Can, we join, uh, can you join me in a time of prayer once more before we delve into the text? God, we praise you for you are our living hope. Thank you that our lives are in your hands. And thank you that you are with us and that you are the one who continues to, to enable and empower us to stand firm in faith and to live for you. And God, as we delve into this text together, speak to us, convict us, rebuke us if necessary, remind us of the purpose and the calling that you have given to us as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we um, delve into this passage together, I would like for us to focus on three things. If you're taking notes, point number one, our primary function as jars of clay. Point number two, the great paradox of the Christian life. And point number three, the eternal trajectory of the Christian life. Let's jump into the first point together. Our primary function as jars of clay. Let's read verse seven again. But, if, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, in the opening verse of this passage, verse 7, which we just read, Paul uses an imagery of treasure in jars of clay to depict the essence of the Christian life and to highlight the purpose, the primary purpose of the Christian life. Now, the question is this, what does Paul have in mind here? Now, treasure represents the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. After personally encountering Christ on the road to Damascus, which is recorded in Acts chapter 9, Paul's life underwent a radical gospel transformation. And as a result, Paul experienced a complete paradigm shift in his life from despising Christ to now cherishing Christ. And Paul makes a heartfelt confession in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And I read, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He now cherishes Christ above all things, as he confesses here. Jars of clay represents us, God's chosen vessels, whom he will use again and again and again to display his glory and to advance his kingdom. Now, in verse 7, the word jar means a human being exercising a function as an instrument or a vessel. In Acts 9.15, Jesus refers to Paul as a chosen instrument, a jar, that's the word that is being used there, who will carry this treasure, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth. And I read verse 15 of Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument, a jar of mine, to carry my name, this treasure before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. In Acts 9.15, the same word jar is being used to underline the primary function of Paul's life as God's chosen vessel. 
And for what purpose? To carry this treasure, the greatest treasure, the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. And Paul gladly laid down his life to carry the name of Jesus Christ wherever he goes. Paul gladly laid down his life to bear witness to the preciousness of Jesus Christ wherever he went. And Paul gladly, gladly laid down his life to proclaim the glorious riches of the gospel wherever he went. As Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians, he reminds him of the following. In Colossians 1, 24 to 29, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. As he writes to the Colossians, he points them to the, the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is that? Christ in them. So that as God opens the eyes of their hearts, that they too can learn to cherish and treasure what is already inside of them. In verse 7, Paul intentionally juxtaposes two things, the treasure and jars of clay, to make a direct comparison between what is ordinary and what is extraordinary, what is common and what is priceless, what is powerless and what is powerful. The question is why? Why is Paul doing this here? And it's to emphasize the preciousness of this treasure, the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, to draw our attention to what matters the most, Jesus Christ, to show that the surpassing power ultimately lies in this treasure. It belongs to God, not in jars of clay. It does not belong to us. In summary, Paul is reminding us that it is not about us. It's all about what is inside of us, Jesus Christ. Let's jump to our second point, the great paradox of the Christian life. Now, although it is an incredible honor and privilege to carry this treasure as God's chosen vessels, this extremely important task comes at a great price. Paul reminds us of the great cost in verses 8 through 12. Let's read that together. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not given to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 
Paul gladly laid down his life and fully devoted himself to this Christ-magnifying, Christ-exalting, Christ-glorifying task of carrying this priceless treasure to the ends of the earth. And in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-30, Paul summarizes the extent of his suffering as God's chosen instrument, as, as, as God's chosen vessel. And this is what Paul's life looked like, a treasure-carrying, kingdom-advancing jar of clay. And I read from verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was stripped back. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I, must, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is what Paul's life looked like. As a treasure-carrying, kingdom-advancing jar of clay and as you can see there was absolutely nothing glamorous about his life i'm sure none of us will say i want that life but as d.a carson reminds us the gospel ministry is characterized by a paradoxical death to self and overflowing life in christ which paul confesses in Philippians 1.21, right? And this is a famous verse. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul clearly understood the great paradox of the Christian life. And according to verses 8-12, it is the life in between being afflicted in every way, but not crushed, being perplexed, but not driven to despair, being persecuted, but not forsaken, being struck down but not destroyed, being always given over to death for Jesus' sake, but so that the life of Jesus may be manifested through him, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, but so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in his body. It's dying to self, but having an overflowing life in Christ. It's dying to self, but living the new eternal resurrection life through faith in Christ here and now. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, Paul also goes on to describe the great paradox of, uh, great paradox of the Christian life. And I read from verse 4. Please read along with me. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, the power of God, and with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Here comes the paradox, the great paradox of the Christian life. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, 
we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown, yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. I mean, Paul's life was filled with intense suffering, deep pain. But these words are coming from the one who has faithfully lived in the midst of the great paradox of the Christian life. But it's also coming from the one who knows what it is to have an overlife, an overflowing life in Jesus Christ. And it was precisely the treasure within Christ himself who enabled and empowered him to press on despite facing such great paradox. Paul knew this was an ongoing reality that wherever he goes, as long as he's carrying this treasure, he will be persecuted, that he would have to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. But that didn't keep him, hinder him, discourage him from remaining faithful to this task of carrying this priceless treasure, bearing the name of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. In Galatians 6.17, Paul reminds us that I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Marks of Jesus. Now most scholars agree that these marks are references to the scars on Paul's body that are the direct results of of his persecution on behalf of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. The scars that Paul bears, that Paul now carries in his body, not only reveal his undying allegiance to Jesus Christ, but also prove his sacrificial obedience as the chosen instrument of Jesus Christ. And these marks of Jesus are visible manifestations, external signs that physically validate Paul's faithfulness as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul died for the glory of God. And you might be wondering, how did Paul faithfully live out the gospel? How was Paul able to faithfully carry this treasure while constantly facing the great paradox of the Christian life? That's a great question. The answer lies in verse 7. Now, Paul's usage of the word we have, we have, demonstrates that Paul is deeply conscious of this treasure that he carries within him. What is that? Jesus Christ, the Christ in him. And here Paul highlights the certainty of what he, what is already true. We have this treasure right here, right now. If you are in Christ, You already possess this treasure inside of you. It's the Christ in you. And for for this reason, Paul uses the, the present tense. We have. He does not use the future tense, right? We will have. It is we have. Why? To underline that it is, an, uh, it is already a present ongoing reality, that this is not just a future promise. 
for those who remain faithful until the end. Paul reminds us this is a present ongoing reality. We have this treasure right now. And it is precisely this treasure within Emmanuel, God with Paul, Christ in Paul, the indwelling a presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that continues to enable and empower Paul to carry this treasure to the ends of the earth. But in the same way, this treasure will also enable and empower us to live this way. It is God with us, Christ in us, the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit in us, which will make this possible despite what we may face along the way. Now, why did Paul joyfully embrace the great paradox of the Christian life? As Paul shares that it was for Jesus' sake. It was for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus might be manifested through him. But it was also for the sake of others. Life in me, I mean death in me, but life for others. It was it was also for the sake of others so that the life of Jesus, especially his amazing, life-saving, life-transforming grace, might reach more and more people. With that in mind, he joyfully embraced his calling as a jar of clay. And Paul writes in verses 13 to 15, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. So we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is why he carried that treasure wherever he went, for the sake of others, so that it will increase and more people bringing glory to God and coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jump to our last point, the eternal trajectory of the Christian life. Verses 16, 17, and 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light Momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are uh, tra- for, for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. In verses 16 through 18 Paul points out what lies ahead for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here Paul is looking forward is what is guaranteed to come. Also, Paul is looking upward to his heavenly home for his citizenship is in heaven. Now, Paul reminds us to see, to understand the great paradox of the Christian life through the lens of the built-in eternal trajectory of the Christian life. And this is Paul's way of 
encouraging us to redirect our attention. This is what lies ahead. This is what awaits us. And this is where we are headed. And with that in mind, Paul encourages us not to lose heart. Despite what is happening in our lives, despite all the things that we will have to face and endure in the midst of the great paradox of the Christian life. Verse 16, although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We are being transformed into the image of Christ more and more each day. Did you know that? You might not be able to see it, but if you are in Christ, there's an ongoing process of becoming more and more like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we are being perfected, made complete in Christ. Galatians 3.3. And this is an ongoing process of sanctification, becoming more and more like him. All the verbs here that I just read, renew, transform, perfect, make complete, are all in the passive tense, which indicates that God is the one who is actively doing this ongoing work of sanctification, that we are merely the passive recipients of this ongoing work of sanctification. So brothers and sisters, do not lose heart because, uh, because of the great paradox of the, the Christian life, because of all the pain and suffering and persecution, trials that come your way as you faithfully bear the gospel as jars of clay. Why? Because God will indeed finish, complete this ongoing work of transformation, sanctification in your life. As Paul reminds us in, in Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, do not lose heart. Verse 17, notice how Paul refers to the great paradox of the Christian life here. It is only a momentary affliction. It is not permanent. It's a momentary affliction. But I find this mind-boggling because he also uses an adjective there to describe this affliction. It is truly remarkable that Paul uses the adjective light, light, to describe his sufferings for the name of Jesus Christ. And this particular word light in the original language means a burden that is easy to bear, a burden that is insignificant this light momentary affliction. Mind-boggling. Considering what he had to endure for the name of Jesus Christ, he calls all that, that was a piece of cake. That was light. All of us will run from that. But Paul says this light momentary affliction. Why? Because the great paradox of the Christian life, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, pales far in comparison to what lies ahead. The eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I really pray and hope that, brothers and sisters, that as you stand firm in faith, as you faithfully, joyfully, and with obedience, carry this treasure that God has entrusted to you. 
that especially when things get difficult, that it will make you yearn more for what is coming, what is guaranteed to come, what you will surely receive, that you will look upward, that you will look forward. And with that in mind, that you will not lose heart, that you will continue to bear the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Paul makes a distinction between what is seen and what is unseen, what is transient and what is eternal. Brothers and sisters, we must focus on what is unseen, not just what is seen. And we ought to live for what is eternal, not what is transient. Live for the kingdom of God. Live for the glory of God. Live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the fact that Paul actually has to remind the believers in Corinth so we do not lose heart means that they were discouraged, that they had many reasons to lose heart while bearing gospel witness at Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth was a thoroughly Roman colony. It was governed by Roman law, and it was Rome away from Rome. Therefore, it was, it is, it was not surprising that the dominant cultural ethos of Corinth was a clear reflection of Rome itself. But because of that, it was incredibly challenging for the Corinthian believers to live out the gospel and to stand firm in faith since they were completely surrounded by a culture that utterly despised kingdom standards. The church in Corinth was being heavily influenced and shaped by the Roman principles and the secular values of the city of Corinth. The Corinthian believers were conforming to the patterns of their ungodly neighbors. In the city of Corinth, having a good, reputable social network was an, was an integral part of their life. Without having a good, reputable social network, they simply could not make a living. They simply could not survive. And so to, and so to remain in the circles of the social elites who are wealthy, recognized, worshipped, praised, right? Who people gravitated towards. These are the highly educated, famous, powerful people who have status. The Corinthian believers willingly compromised their faith to join their ranks, to become part of their inner circle. And because of that, they continued to actively participate and, and fully indulge in, this is quote-unquote, the unholy trinity of gluttony, drunkenness, and sexual immorality, which was rampant in the city of Corinth. They were more concerned about keeping the Roman social etiquettes to remain friends, to become even better friends with the unbelieving social elites, even if that meant dishonoring the name of Christ. There was absolutely nothing countercultural about the lifestyle of the Corinthian believers. And since the cultural emphasis of Corinth was consciously Roman, not consciously Christ, it is not surprising that the life patterns of Christians living in the city of Corinth became increasingly more Corinthian, not Christ-like. This is the context in which God was calling them to be a jar for Christ. 
But you know what the big problem is? The Corinthian believers, they didn't want to be jars of clay. They didn't want to look like the jars of clay, especially in a city like that. What was celebrated was affluence, education, status, power, to be part of the social elite. I mean, that was their context. So the Corinthian believers, jars of clay, no. I don't want to be jars of clay. I don't want to look like jars of clay. But if we're honest, this does sound familiar. I mean, does this look familiar to you? There isn't much difference between life in Corinth and life in America. And let's be honest. And if we are brutally honest with ourselves, I mean, no one wants to be jars of clay. No one wants to look like jars of clay. That is common, ordinary, cheap, not fancy, not valuable, fragile, easily broken, frequently discarded. No one wants to, to be that. And we get so preoccupied with this incessant, insatiable need to feel important, to be recognized, to be wanted, to stand out from everyone else, to rise above everyone else, to outshine everyone else. So do you know what we do because of that? We get caught up spending our time just decorating our own jars of clay. We are devoting all of our time, energy, resources in glamorizing our own jars of clay. We're missing the point. Because ultimately, we want the spotlight to be on us. But there's no room for pride, arrogance, self-reliance, self-praise inside the jars of clay. And do you know what happens when this goes unchecked? We become comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, prosperity-loving, security-craving, approval-desiring, faith-compromising, spiritually lukewarm Christians who refuse to carry this treasure, who refuse to function as humble jars of clay. And if this is an honest reflection of your Christian life, if this is where you are right now, then you will continue to lose heart as you foolishly wrestle with the wrong questions. Because if your life is all about this, then you're wrestling with, who am I? Trying to make a name for yourself. But that's the wrong question that you should be asking. The right question, if you're in Christ, is whose am I? Not who am I. Whose am I? Who, to whom do I belong to? And if you say Christ is my Lord and Savior, then how you live your life ought to reflect that. That means that it is your calling, it is your duty, a joyful duty, to be a jar of clay for his glory. And if you're struggling spiritually, I think it's because you have been asking also the wrong question. Life in the middle 
of the great paradox of the Christian life is not easy. It's hard. So you, perhaps you're wrestling with this question, is this worth it? Is doing this for Christ, is, is this worth it? But that's the, also the wrong question. The right question that you and I need to be asking is not, is this worth it, but is he worthy? Is he worthy of the call? Is he worthy of whatever's in front of me right now? No matter how painful that may cause you know, my heart, no matter how, how much that will break me, but, but he is worthy of that. And so if you have this uh, a shift in framework, I start asking these questions, whose am I, is he worthy? I really believe that it will radically change the way you see what is in front of you and also the way you live your life as jars of clay. Recently, I was cleaning out my closet um, as we're getting ready to leave the country um, eventually. So we've been purging. And I was cleaning out my closet, and to my pleasant surprise, I found a box of my old basketball cards. And I was just so happy. Because, <laughs> um, and yes, I wanted to actually show pictures. And it definitely brought back fond memories of just going to the store with my brother after school. And it was a daily routine. And it brought us so much joy, opening up the, the new pack and, and getting you know, the, the cards that, that, that we wanted. And I was going through all the cards. And thankfully, I kept all the good, good valuable cards inside a protective case, as you see. And they were all still in good condition. But now. It's time to actually get them appraised professionally to, to find out what they're actually worth. I actually brought one to show you. This is my favorite one. I know some, some, some of you, your eyes are sparkling. You can see it after, after worship, okay? You, could, you can see it. This was my favorite card, um, a card of Michael Jordan. And here's the thing. This card has been protected by this transparent case. So on the one hand, this protective case, what is its function? It, its function is to, to shield and to preserve what is on the inside, the card itself, right? But on the other hand, if this protective case, um, if I were to start decorating this case, thinking that, okay, um, I'm just going to start adding to the case, what would that do to the card that's actually on the inside? Because this protective case accentuate, it is supposed to accentuate the, the value of what is being protected, right? And it is transparent so that you could see what is on the inside to showcase the treasure within. But how foolish would it be if I kept decorating the case, accessorizing the case, glamorizing the case so that you can no longer see what is on the inside? Then it, then it would defeat the purpose of this case, right? Because it is to display and to show, not to take away. See, as God's chosen vessels, jars of clay, we are called to carry this treasure, as Paul writes in verse 7, wherever we go. And we are called to visibly display this treasure in all that we do. 
in and through every aspect of our lives. But here is the thing that the you and I, that we must remember. Jars of clay must first be broken in order to reveal the treasure within. Let me say that again. Jars of clay must first be broken in order to reveal the treasure within. You and I, we must first be broken. Through the gospel, God breaks us for our own good. And through the gospel, God breaks us for his glory. Leonard Cohen writes that there is a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. But through these cracks, this is also how the light gets out. So as you carry this treasure, you must continuously be broken by the gospel so that as the light continues to shine brightly into your heart, that there will also be a light that's shining out that displays the beautiful Savior, that displays and, and shows and showcases the, the glory of God. And in his mercy and grace, God has shown in our hearts the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And if you are in Christ, this is true. The God who said, let there be light, he has spoken and he has shown in our hearts the light of the, the, the gospel of the glory of Christ. And that has broken in and it has broken your heart, which means the Christ who now lives in you will enable and empower you to display this treasure, the beauty of this treasure. Don't, don't get in the way of that by decorating your jar, by glamorizing your own jar. Brothers and sisters, I hope this encourages you. It's because through the cracks of your broken life, especially the ugly, messy parts of your broken life that you desperately want to hide, the beauty of the gospel shines most brightly and beautifully through those cracks. Don't forget that. And with that in mind, do not lose heart. Because God intentionally chooses what is weak, what is lowly, what is powerless, what is fragile to demonstrate his power and to display his glory. Pastor John Piper, as I close, um, I wanted to read you this quote because he offers an urgent plea to Christians who refuse to live as self-denying, Christ-glorifying jars of clay, and I quote, being reached toward God means looking Godward for heavenly wealth. It means taking your ease in him, finding your security in him. And it means using your money in a way that enlarges the barn of your joy in heaven, not the barn of your comfort on earth. God is not glorified when we keep for ourselves, no matter how thankfully, what we, what we ought to be using to alleviate the misery of the, the unevangelized, the uneducated, unhoused, and unfed millions. The evidence that many of our people are not rich toward God is how little they give and how much they own. Over the years, God has prospered them, and by an almost irresistible law of consumer culture, they have bought bigger and more houses, newer and more cars, fancier and more clothes, 
and all the manners of trinkets and gadgets and containers and devices and equipment to make life more fun. The problem is not with earning a lot. The problem is the constant accumulation of luxuries that are soon felt to be needs. If you want to be a conduit for God's grace, if you really want to carry this treasure wherever you go for the glory of Christ, you don't have to be lined with gold. Copper will do. We have to stop accumulating. We have to stop building barns. We have to show that the greatest thing to do with money is to use it to provide treasure in heaven, not on earth. We have to be rich toward God. So bore the gold out of your own conduit. One of the short signs that you are growing in grace, that you are growing up in the gospel, is that you're absolutely content being a jar of clay. That it brings you joy, absolute joy, in, in living as a jar of clay. How? Why? Because your identity and self-worth is firmly rooted and grounded in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this treasure that Paul talks about, that he says we now have, we also have this treasure right here, right now. Now with that in mind, will you live faithfully as jars of clay that displays the surpassing power of God? Will you live joyfully as, as jars of clay that reveals the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you live intentionally as jars of clay that demonstrates the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ? Will you live humbly as self-denying, Christ-treasuring, Christ-exalting, Christ-honoring, Christ-magnifying, Christ-glorifying jars of clay? Let's pray. God, this is an area where we fall short. For we choose to, and we prefer to live for ourselves so that we can do the Christian life as comfortably as possible. Father, if that's where we have been as a church, and also individually forgive us. But thank you for the treasure that is already within us. And it is our prayer and hope that you will continue to enable and empower us so that we can live in such a way um, as jars of clay to display and showcase and demonstrate your power and your glory to the people around us, Lord. So God, have mercy and, and help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.